Well, uh, there's nothing like announcing that you'll leave and then being treated nicely. And uh, my chairman deacons has brought the elements up here and said, they're right there for you. And so, Dave, thank you for that. Um, so I appreciate that so much. I appreciate the kind words and the encouragement from everyone. Thank you so much for that. Um, I was in Dave Brown's Sunday school class today, and uh, I'm still a believer. But uh, I wanted to give you a, uh, the one line from Dave. You can, this is a good one. You can, maybe it'll, it'll, it'll sink into your mind. He said, the Bible is not an accessory. It is a necessity. And so that's a good one. Dave, I don't know. You probably stole that from somebody, but let's just act like you didn't, okay? So amen. I appreciate it. It was a great, uh, great time in the, that class today and enjoyed being with them. Now, I want you to get your Bibles and go to John chapter 10. And between now and Easter, we'll, we'll just be working through sections of the Gospel of John, uh, beginning here with chapter 10 and moving forward. So if you want to read ahead, you can, you can do that. Now, I won't work on every chapter uh, between uh, here and the end of the book, but it would be a good exercise for you to just begin reading chapter 10 and your quiet time, your devotional time, and uh, read all the way through the end of the Gospel of John. And then you'll be prepared for all that's coming uh, between now and Holy Week and, uh, and, and get uh, a little bit of a running start and be able to pray about that and think about it ahead of time and uh, be a, a blessing to you. Most of the time, I don't have to announce that. I'm in a, you know, preaching through a book of the Bible, you know where we're going, right? So I wanted to make sure that you uh, knew that. Uh, and, and so John chapter 10, this familiar section of scripture for many of you. It's the section about the good shepherd, Jesus being the good shepherd. Now, Jesus had just healed a man born blind. But if you remember in, it, from that story, that, that experience in, in chapter 9, the Jewish leaders, the shepherds of Israel, they're people that were in, you know, sometimes we think of shepherds in Scripture as people who just uh, do caretaking, you know, we think about, uh, you know, taking care of the wounds of the sheep and so on and so forth. But most of the time in scripture, a shepherd is someone with authority. David was called the shepherd of Israel. And it means they're to lead. They're to be leaders. And so shepherding is a leadership thing more than anything else. And Israel had leaders. They had Shepherds and the shepherds of Israel, that we're talking about in a religious sense, were the ones who were truly blind. And that's what the story in, in chapter 9 of the Gospel of John is all about. It's about who's really the blind person here? The man born blind or the people who have sight but can't see? And so this is the point that Jesus was made. They, they would just not, they, they just wouldn't allow their hearts to grasp the reality that Jesus was the true shepherd whom God had promised. See, God had said in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34 and verse 23, he had said these words, I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. Now, you know David was long dead. So what the Bible is talking about there is someone from the lineage, from the house of David, perhaps someone even born in Bethlehem. And so this is written in the Old Testament. And Jesus now turns to these religious leaders and he's saying, 
by this analogy that we see in chapter 10 of the Gospel of John, that he is that shepherd. And those who cannot see that are blind. And not only that, those who are trying to lead instead of Jesus, they're not only blind, they're bogus. They're not real. They're frauds. This is a very pointed section of Scripture. When you look at the title of it, I am the good shepherd, it sounds so loving, doesn't it? It sounds so gentle and so kind. And probably, you know, you get in your mind Thomas Kincaid or something, you know, some artwork, you know, or Jesus, you know, holding the little lamb, you know. And so you, you think of the, you know, the Jesus meek and mild and, and lowly and all those things, which he is those things, to be sure. But he's also the shepherd. And being a shepherd is primarily about leading a flock. It's not about uh, running in an uh, in infirmary. It's it's leading, and it's difficult. It's not easy. Now, I do want to make this announcement. I I am a little bit under the weather. My voice is messed up. I've got the Ohio crud, and I just want to assure you of this. I did take a COVID test, and it is negative. It's the only test I've ever failed my entire life, and I've, you know, so I failed it. So I'm not, but I, you know, I won't get all up in your grill or anything, but I I am COVID-free. I have something worse, the Ohio crud. COVID is a little easier to get over with most of the time. This stuff just lingers for days, you know. Um, If you get this in Ohio, if you get this crud, it lasts longer than spring here. It does. So this is um, the section of scripture here. Verses verses 1 through 21 is the section that that we're looking at. And we'll we'll get uh, as much of it as we can. But I I want to just point out Jesus is the good shepherd here. And I I want you to see, uh, first of all, his presence with his sheep. Now verses 1 through 6. Jesus said truly truly I say to you. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. But climbs in by another way. That man is a, is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand that he was, what he was saying to them. Now, I, I want to say first of all, in interpreting scripture... We're looking at probably what we would call an analogy. Now, some of you have a translation of the Bible, and it says this parable that Jesus spoke. But it's not the normal word that's used for parable in the rest of the Scripture. So it means something like an analogy. He's using an illustration to express something about himself. Now, when you, in, in interpreting Scripture, when you know that to be true, and it's clearly stated here, It doesn't mean that you have to force every detail to mean something. And so we don't have to identify the details of this story or this section of this analogy in order to get it right. The one detail that we're supposed to get right is who is the true shepherd. That's the one detail that matters here. So please don't go off the deep end trying to identify who's the gatekeeper and all those things. Jesus is going to change this analogy up so many times that it's going to get really confusing if you're trying to press home every detail in this kind of section of Scripture, this kind of literature 
and make everything mean something. Okay, so you'll get real confused if you try to do that. So it, the, the point is just simply this. Keep your eyes on Jesus, okay? The rest of it, it there's, it's just detail. But keep your eye up on, on Jesus. Now, here's what we know about the shepherd and his presence with his sheep. He calls to them personally. It's a personal call. If you'll notice there, if you want to skip down to, to verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It's, it's pointed out here that false leaders try to get the loyalty of the sheep by deceit and trickery. And he, he's, it's what he's saying about climbing in another way. That man's a thief and a robber. Those people were trying to, to get the loyalty and the devotion of people in a way that was false and deceptive and deceitful. Jesus calls them flat out thieves. Now listen, the Pharisees knew that he was speaking precisely to them. And so these religious leaders were misleading. They were trying to get to God's people in a way other than the way that God had assigned. God had assigned you go right through the door. These guys were trying to do it a different way. They were trying to steal people's hearts away from God. And I would submit to you that the greatest theft that a person can commit is to steal someone's heart to the place that they draw them away from God. And this is what these people were doing. Now, notice this about Jesus. He leads. He calls his own sheep by name. He doesn't call every sheep. He calls his own sheep by name. Now, hold on before you jump. Some of you are already thinking, oh, I'm going to apply the sheep and the goats analogy to this analogy. Bad hermeneutics. Don't apply that which is a different parable, a different illustration to this illustration, just because both of them talk about farm animals. Okay, you're, you're, you're missing a point. That's about judgment. This is about salvation. So he, he calls his own sheep by name. The picture here is this. It's, it's the end of the day. There are all kinds of sheep in this large pen. It's, it's in town. And several shepherds are staying the night here. And they all put their sheep in this pen. All of them. So you have this mixture of groups of sheep. This flocks of sheep mixed together. But in the morning, the shepherd has to get his sheep, his own sheep, out from the midst of all of these sheep. How's he going to do it? Is he going to go into the mist and start grabbing them by the ears and pulling them? That's mine. That's, that's not how the shepherd does it. The shepherd calls. And when the shepherd calls, only his sheep respond. There's not a general call. All sheep come to me. That's not what the call is. Instead, it's a personal call. It's a specific call. It's an effectual call. And those who truly belong to him will come out from among the other sheep. I read of a man who saw this happen with three or four shepherds. He was a tourist in Israel. And he saw this, that these shepherds separated their sheep out solely by the peculiar call of the shepherd. The shepherd called in a certain way. And only his sheep would follow that call. In the case of Jesus, it's not just a peculiar call that calls out his sheep. It's a personal call. Notice, he calls them by name. 
It's a personal call. It's a specific call. It's an effectual call. It's not a general call. All you sheep that want to follow me. He calls his own by name. And they come out from among the other sheep. He calls effectually, verses 4 through 6, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used, they didn't understand what he was saying. Note that these are his own sheep. His own sheep follow him. And notice also that they know his voice. The word know, akuo, it means they recognize. They hear his voice with understanding. They hear it with recognition. And they hear it even with comfort. A sense of comfort. And as a result of hearing that voice, they respond to it. Now, let me say this. When you came to Jesus, you heard the voice of Jesus. So, well, no, I, I didn't hear an audible voice. Of course you didn't. Of course you didn't. But have you ever seen those dog whistles that don't make any sound to you, but they do to the dog? It's the same thing with the preached word. Everybody's hearing it with their ears. But only the one that Jesus is calling truly hears the call. It's inaudible to everyone else. But to the one or the two or the three that he's calling on that day, it is absolutely loud. There's nothing like the call on the heart that is louder than anything you'll ever hear with your ears. It's Jesus calling his sheep out. He's not calling everybody that day. He's calling his own from out from among the other sheep. It's an effectual call. They will not follow a stranger. They won't follow a false shepherd. Why? Because they will not recognize his voice. They won't recognize this strange voice that does not bring comfort. This strange voice sounds like danger. And they will not follow. This is the presence of Jesus with his sheep. This is how he works. Now, look at his protection over his sheep. Verses 7 through 10. Let me just read that section and then we'll go back. So Jesus again said to them. See, they didn't understand. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life or they may have life and have it abundantly. His protection over his sheep. Now, what is the position of Jesus here for his sheep as far as protection is concerned? In verse 7, he said, I'm the door. Now, just a minute ago, his The picture of Jesus was just that of the shepherd, you know, and the shepherd that goes into the fold the right way. But now he switches and he says, okay, let me say it a different way. I'm the door. Now, this seems a little confusing. Which one in this story, Jesus, are you going to be? Are you going to be the shepherd or are you going to be the door? The scene has changed now from 
this large multi-flock gathering in town to being out on the hills where the grass and the wilderness is looming. And so in that situation when the sheep are going to be out all night, they will build a makeshift shelter out of limbs and briars and so on. And they will build this. And it doesn't have a roof. And it does, it's, just, it's just an enclosure where you can put the sheep in there. And of course, there's no door. They don't have a door. They can't make a door out there in the middle of nowhere. And so this sheepfold out of brush and limbs and briars out of the middle field. And so then, how can Jesus then say that he is the door? Well, here's an illustration that may help us. A man was traveling with his tour guide in, in Israel. And he came across a shepherd and his sheep. And the shepherd showed this tourist his sheepfold into which he led his sheep at night. There are four walls, only one opening. And the tourist asked the, sh- the, the shepherd, how can the sheep be safe in a fold that has no door? And the shepherd responded, sir, I am the door. The shepherd went on to explain. When the light has gone out and all the sheep are inside, I lie across that open space. And no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. And this is what Jesus is saying about his sheep. He is the protector. And he does it by laying himself down between the sheep and the danger that would ruin their souls. That's what Jesus does. That's the kind of shepherd he is. And we find in this section of scripture that that's not the kind of shepherd these hirelings are. These that really don't own the sheep. They don't lay down at the danger zone. They don't put their life out there for the sheep. And we find it a minute instead they run. But what is his purpose? Why? Why is the shepherd doing this? And he tells us in a, in a verse that you know very well. He, he tells us verse 9. Anything that's going to come in and go out, it's, it's, it's by him. And so when you do that. You'll be saved. If anyone enters by me, in other words, across me or through me into the sheepfold, that person's going to be saved. And then he goes on to explain. In verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief. Who's the thief? Well, he's talking about the Pharisees. Now, we apply this to Satan a lot. And it would be true. But primarily, he's applying this to false teachers. Why is it that I am so pointed, so direct, and warn you about false teaching and those who promote false teaching? Why am I so confrontational about that? Some of you leave here and just say, oh, I would never bring my friends here, Pastor, when you preach because you would offend them. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I have some friends that I wouldn't bring here because you would embarrass me. It works both ways. Have you ever thought of that? 
They would be so offended because they're this or that kind of belief. I don't care. I just don't care. I'm not here to not offend people. As a matter of fact, I'm here to offend. That, that's just the assignment that you have. Why? Because whether they know it or not, those people who are teaching false doctrine, they have something that they're doing. And what they're doing to people is, is this very thing. They're stealing. They're stealing away people's souls. They're killing their souls. They're destroying their lives. They're leading them away from God. Oh, it's just a minor point of doctrine. Really? I have this trouble. Um, when I speak English, I have this trouble that I, I have another language in my mind and it engages as well. And so there's this one word in Wolof that comes to my mind all the time. And I think the translation of it, maybe in English, might be something like baloney. But it's a hockey. That sounds really good to me. It sounds almost redneck or something. But are you kidding me? It's a minor thing that people don't believe the Bible is the infallible inerrant word of God. That's a minor thing. That Jesus is a, a, a person of your own making. That salvation is through the church rather than through Christ. Those are not minor things. Those are things that steal, kill, and destroy souls. It matters. And I don't care if it offends. It, it doesn't matter. Why? What, why? Because those people are not interested in preserving your souls. They're interested in you promoting their organization. That's what a thief does. It's a false shepherd. And I could name it specifically if you want me to. But see, Jesus, on the other hand, what is, his, what is the purpose of the shepherd? Why does he do all these things? He says, I have come that. Okay, the word that is a purpose word. I, I came for this purpose. I mean, Greek scholars, I came for this purpose. This is my purpose. That they, who, who's, who are the they? My own sheep. That they may have life. Not death, but life. And have it to the fullest possible extent. If you are a Christian, you are giving up some things in this world. And it may feel to you that you are having less than what the worldlings have. But I would say to you, what you have is eternal. And I would say that is more than those who have apparently more but will lose it all at death. We just have to determine what is the commodity that we're after here. Are we after the abundant life or the prosperous life? Are we after abundant life or the recognized life? Are we after the abundant life or Put it, just fill in the blank. The popular life. What are we after here? See, Jesus only gives one kind of life. It is eternal life 
that is also a quality of life, a certain kind of life that is eternal and it's abundant. This is his protection over his sheep. Jesus doesn't just take away from you all the pleasures of this world. He takes them away so that he can give you something better. That's his protection over sheep. So his presence, his calling, we see that. And his protection. Now look at his passion for his sheep. And the, the word passion, you, you know that when we say that we're passionate about something, we have a passion for this. It means we have an affection for it. We have a love for it. But in the case of Jesus, the word passion also has a second meaning. We talk about passion week. What does that mean? It also means suffering. So this is Jesus' affection for his sheep, but also his suffering for his sheep. Now, verses 11 through 18. Um, oh, let's just read all of it. We'll just go ahead and do it. Okay, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus' passion for his sheep is seen here. In, in verse 9, if we back up there for just a moment... He's saying the word, you know, if you have the ESV, if anyone enters by me, that's emphatic. So Jesus is putting forth now himself and saying, now look at me. Don't think about uh, sheepfold. Don't think about fields. Don't think about shepherd's staff. Don't think about any of those things. Think about me now. Look at me for a moment. And that's what he's trying to say to them. Just, just drop everything and look at me. And so here's what he says. He wants you to understand as the good shepherd, he wants you to see his vicarious suffering. And that's what verses 11 through 15 is about. And he says the good shepherd does what? He lays down, verse 11, he lays down his life for the sheep. The word for is huper. It means in the place of. I lay down my life in the place of. Do you know we talk about, and, and for some of you guys, it's maybe you're, you, you struggle with uh, words, they get all mixed up in your mind and, and all that, so we talk about substitutionary atonement. This is exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's going to atone for the sins of his sheep in the place of his sheep. By being the substitute for his sheep. That's what he's going to do. 
in the place of. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's, that's the center of the gospel. I have a coffee cup at home and on one side, I don't know, one of y'all may have given it to me or one of my sons, I guess. And it has a picture of Charles Spurgeon on one side. And the back side, it says from Spurgeon, my theology consists of this, Christ died for me. These are not clean sheep. These are not compliant sheep. These are not well-bred sheep. These are not show sheep. These would not make it at the Ross County Fair. They would be judged, flawed, insufficient. They wouldn't win a ribbon. Nobody would hold these sheep up as the cream of the crop or the best of the flock. But that's just the kind that the good shepherd has died for. In the place of dirty, rotten, broken, deformed sheep. The good shepherd and his vicarious suffering, suffering in the place of his sheep. What do you do with sheep? Two things. You shear them and you slaughter them. That's all they're good for. Don't try to make a pet out of sheep. They're stupid. My dad had sheep. It was like best day ever when he got rid of them. Stupid. You can't, you can't leave the things. And for, for whatever reason, you have this whole field. It's, it, it's nice and green. And then there's one place where the water trough is and it gets a little muddy there. What do they do? They come lay down there. Just idiotic. Stick their head through the fence and just bah. That's just a call for dogs to come. What are you doing? These things are stupid. I talked him into getting them. I don't know. Anyway. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep in the place of. My, my point I think is obvious. Do I have to state it? Lest any of us think that in some way we were worthy of the sacrifice of the shepherd. You are deluded and deranged. Not even close. Look at this visionary gathering by the, sh by the shepherd though in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. What, what fold is he talking about? Well, he's speaking to Jews. And he says, I have other sheep not of this fold. In other words, I have other sheep that are not Jews. Now, understand that the gospel had not been preached to the Gentiles yet. Not, not on any wide scale. I mean, here and there, one or two from, you know, time to time. But not on a wide, wide scale basis yet. Apostle Paul hadn't, you know, come rummaging through, you know, the Gentile world yet. So, Jesus is already saying, he's not saying, I hope to have some other sheep, not of this fold. Or, I will have. What does he say? I have. Dead stop. I have. How, how can he make that statement? Chosen from the foundation of the world. That's how. Do you not see and understand how this works? 
This is how it works. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he was speaking about you right there, even before you were ever born. He already had you. The only thing he had to do was come and call you out from among the other sheep. He already had you. He already owned you. How does he own you? He paid the price for you. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. And he said, I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. Now, what is the one mark of one of his sheep that we see here? They listen to his voice. How do you know if you're a follower of Jesus? You follow. It's just pretty clear, right? Now, do, do sheep ever go astray and get in the briars? Oh, yep. But how, how do you know? Okay, listen to this. How do you know if you... You make a profession of faith. You wander from the Lord. You get off down in Satan's briar patch. How do you know then if you belong to the Lord? He comes and gets you. You see, if you don't belong to him, he'll just leave you there. He'll just leave you there. There's no point. He doesn't own you. That's... Satan, Satan and his shepherds going to get that one. Not mine. And they will listen to his voice. I, I don't know about the theology of this. I, I, think, I think it does line up with some scripture. And, and, and I don't know who to give credit uh, to uh, about this. But I heard this one time, maybe when I was a kid. That if a shepherd has a lamb that just keeps straying. He will get that lamb and break its leg. And then carry that lamb around until it's healed. So that that lamb will come to depend upon the shepherd. And what it means to stay close to him. How do you know? The scripture says of us. That if we go astray he will discipline us. That's how you know. If you walk away from Christ and there are no consequences, you didn't know him to begin with. You just happened to be in the same large sheep pen with all the other flocks. But you were never a member of his flock. You just mistakenly got mixed in with his group. Now this gathering, what, what is he doing? He's going to bring... Those who are of his flock that are Jews, those who are Gentile, and what's going to happen? There will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. Part of the problem that we have with racism in this country, especially among professing believers, is that we identify ourselves by the wrong name. We identify ourselves according to earthly origin rather than eternal belonging just sheep that's what we are and if we belong to him we're his sheep and we're part of one flock if we belong to him and we all have one shepherd if we belong to him now what is else do we see about the passion for his sheep 
is this. We saw by Carrie's suffering, visionary gathering. But, but also, and this is related really to his suffering. But, but I think to emphasize a point about it. And I'm calling his voluntary offering. Verses 17 and 18, if you saw that. And, and it says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. What is the result of laying down his life? The resurrection. Lay it down, take it up again. And then look at this. No one takes it from me. Jesus was not martyred. They, they didn't come and get a hold of Jesus and tie him up and, and handcuff him and drag him off to court against his will. He makes this very clear in the Gospel of John when he says, who are you looking for? And they says, Jesus. And he says, I am. And they fall back. Okay, talking about the lostness of man, I, I don't know. But if, if I were just a dyed-in-the-wool pagan, and this man speaks, and I go flipping backwards, when I get on my feet, I'm running in a different direction. That part I never understood. It shows the stupidity of lostness. When we are lost, we're insane. We're just insane. And so these guys are like, let's get him. I'm like, no, you get him. I'm not getting him. I'll just, you know, I'll hold the torch. How about that? You get him. And so, you know, he's already proven that you don't just take Jesus. He gives his life. He lays it down of his own accord, his own volition, voluntarily. He said, I have been given authority by the Father to lay it down. I've been given the authority to take it up. Do you understand that Jesus, if he refuses the cross, is not disobedient? The Father has given that decision right into his hand. You have the authority, son, do what you will. And he says, this charge, I've received it from my Father. He died voluntarily, not just vicariously, but voluntarily he died for the sheep because of their sins but then he rose again to announce justification on the sheep if he stays in the grave then we're culpable for his death but rising again he can, he can declare justification I have overcome the death penalty that was yours because of your sin I have killed it for you now live for me That's the message of the shepherd. I have killed that which would kill you. Now follow me. I have become a curse in your place. Now live as someone not cursed. Interestingly enough, in verses 19 through 21, there there are all kinds of responses. There was again a division. Have you ever noticed this one prevailing factor about Jesus? Everywhere he went, there was division. Some of you think that Jesus was some kind of Gandhi that sat around in a robe and philosophized and talked to hippies. Just world peace. Some of y'all think, you know, he wrote, you know, all the humanity gathering songs they were all just one I don't see that in scripture I'm sorry 
There's a, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them says, um, said, he has a demon and, and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Okay, so now l- let me just say this for, for a moment. You, you have these two different kinds of responses here. One, this guy's a looney tune. Or two, no, he's not. He does miracles. But I want to say to you, neither one of those answers is a saving answer. Neither one of those is a saving response. Neither one of those answers is salvation for those individuals. There are many people in our world that have a positive uh, opinion of Jesus. Very positive opinion. Muslims have a very positive opinion of Jesus. Very positive. People, people in the world have positive opinion of Jesus. It's, you know, there are, you don't, it's not like you, you... It's not like people don't... Very rarely do I hear people stand up and say, I am against Jesus. That's why I am. That rarely happens. I hardly ever hear that. I, mean, I could go I'd probably about anybody in this town and say to them, Hey, uh, you know, are, 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 you all, are you good with Jesus? Yeah, man, I think Jesus is cool. Most people do that. And you might have a few that say, oh, He's a crazy man. That's fine. But most people. But that's not salvation, y'all. Just, just switching over from, I can't stand Jesus, to Jesus is just all right with me, doobie brothers. It's just not enough. It's just not it. What is it then that is the determining factor here? It's simply this. A person hears his voice by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preached word. Hears his voice to come out from among the other sheep and to be owned by him. And when that sheep responds and follows, that one goes in and out by the door and is saved and finds pasture. Just sitting around and philosophizing about Jesus is not the key. To have some some positive head knowledge about Jesus is not the issue here. The issue is this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But instead, come out from all the other sheep of the world and follow him and be owned by him. That's the difference. A lot of people want to have, they they want to be on good terms with Jesus. But they don't want to be owned by Jesus. Friends, I just want to say to you throughout the scripture, we're told over and over again that we're slaves of Christ Jesus. I was talking to a man one time, and I, was, I had seen him several, several times. And, and I was trying to work him through the scriptures, you know, walk through about Christ, and we're talking. And so we got down to the end, and, and, and you know, it's, it's time for this guy to make a decision. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, granted, it, you know, he's, he's a night watchman. It's 4 a.m., you know. But I, I, I said to him, Mike, this is very plain. It's very clear. You either have to give up your life and become a slave of Christ. Or you keep your life and become enslaved to sin. And he said, I, 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 I ain't gonna, I'm not going to choose being anybody's slave. And I said, buddy, you just have. See, that's what people don't want. 
They don't want that from Christ. They don't want to be owned by him. They don't want to follow him. They don't want to obey him. They don't want him as leader. They want him as healer. They want him as the one who anoints their wounds. They want him to show up when they're in the hospital. They want him to show up when they're having family problems. They want him to show up when they're having problems with their teenager. They want all of those things from Jesus. But they don't want to be owned and they don't want to follow. And I would say this to you. Until you're ready to be owned and to follow, you cannot be his sheep. Are you ready to do that today?